This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action, with host Arman Shraki. Each week, Arman will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS Scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of SaaS Scaled. I'm pleased to have John Wills with us. He's field CTO at Alation. John, welcome. Thank you, Armin. Pleasure to be here. My pleasure. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself first and the company as well? Yeah, I'm sure I'd be happy to. So again, named John Wills, uh, field CTO, as you said, with Alation. I've been with Alation a little over four years, but I'm one of these guys, uh, you could tell from the gray hairs, I've been around a little while, 30 plus years in the in the industry. And when I say the industry, really in the data space, I mean, we're going to talk a lot more about this in the next few minutes, but all in the data space. What do I mean by the data space? Well, I've been with a number of startups, mostly out of the out of Silicon Valley, and then, but also some pretty large consultancies, but all focused around data. So I spent my entire career around data integration, data quality, metadata management, data governance, reference data, master data, all of the the sort of the rich data domain. Now I've had a lot of different roles with a lot of these different startup companies, everything from very technical roles and my current role, CTO role, all the way to I've actually been, you know, VP of sales at one point with some of these companies. So it's kind of a diverse number of roles, but I do self-identify as a data person and been acquired into IBM four times and HP, HP once, right? So there's a long and winding story there. What else can I tell you about myself? So uh, certified architect with HP, IBM, and SAP. So really interested in Six Sigma work, Lean Sigma work, ITIL work, right? All those four-letter acronyms in my background. So I live on, uh, on the East Coast, in the mountains in Tennessee, in the Smoky Mountains with my wife and three dogs. And I have two two grown kids, uh, one that's a data scientist and a research. And so I think Armin, with that, people probably don't <laughs> want to hear more about me. So I'll I'll leave it at that for now. But it's a pleasure to be with you. Been looking forward to this. Great. No, thank you very much. That was very interesting. You have three dogs. I'm pretty sure that they keep you very busy. They keep us very busy, and let's hope we don't hear from them during this podcast, right? <laughs> but it's just always so interesting to spend time with animals. They are so wonderful. It's Absolutely. lovely. And Kathy and I, my wife and I, love just you know spending time with animals. Sometimes we feel like we go to a city and go to the zoo, and we are the only adults, only kind of group that everybody comes for the kids <laughs> and we are the ones who are there for ourselves just spending time with these animals. You need to come by the house because uh, we have ring cameras and I said we live in the mountains, the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. So we have bears at least twice a week and we've got coyotes and we've got wild turkeys that walk up and down the driveway. So you, if you <laughs> love animals, you need to come on over for a visit. 
you know, stay Fantastic. for a while. Yeah. What about the company? Tell us a little bit about the kind of market that you guys serve and what sure. the maybe sweet spot is for you guys, the kind of, you know, segment of the market and the problem that most of you are targeting to solve. Sure. You know, I'd be happy to. So Alation Software is a software company out of Silicon Valley, out of Redwood City in Silicon Valley. It's about 10 years old. You know, our tagline is sort of a data intelligence company, but I know a lot of people use those words data intelligence a lot. So I'll break that down for you to make that a little more meaningful. So we started as a cataloging company, data cataloging company, and we actually helped define a new category of data cataloging. And of course, that'll sound kind of strange to a lot of people because every single tool out there seems to have a catalog in it, but we're kind of a catalog of catalogs. So we're an aggregator. We pull in assets about data and data-related assets. Think metric definitions, term definitions, BI reports, dashboards, API sources, plus all the data schemas, tables, columns, right? And we aggregate all that into a kind of an Uber catalog platform, a data intelligence platform. We augment it with a lot of knowledge. And then we, we allow consumers of that and contributors to use that. So now, so that's kind of what it is, but what does that really mean in terms of value we provide, right? Problem we're trying to solve. So the problem that we're trying to solve is to provide a fabric across the enterprise for a whole broad set of personas to allow everyone to be able to find key data assets, understand those key data assets, and reuse those key data assets faster than they've ever, ever been able to before. Because of course, everyone involved in the data pipeline and the production of, and we may talk about this, but internal data products and consuming those has this massive challenge. They all spend about 80% of their time up front just trying to find things, understand things, go through the email, nightmare email chain and thread of trying to find people who are experts on things. And so we're collapsing that entire time frame. That's really been our mission since we started, we're leader in the category. We've been ranked way out ahead of everyone else for three years running with Gartner Forrester, been named Snowflake's Data Governance Partner of the Year, two years running. So, and growth is is super strong. So I think this need has always been there. And what we've seen with the continued skyrocketing growth of data rates, plus the move to the cloud and the hybrid environments and all this richness in our world now has honestly created more of a need for what we do than less of a need. One last introductory sort of comment. I stuck that word governance in on everyone, right? When I was describing catalog and all these assets, one of the real requirements these days around data is that everyone wants to grow with data and move faster and be more agile and have a data culture, but you have to do it in a controlled, safe, risk-mitigated way. And so governance has to be part of that equation, but that has to be done in a way that doesn't detract from people getting everyday work done or slow them down or become, you know, unnecessary friction. So that's part of what we help people with as well. Data is so sophisticated that <laughs> always there are zillions of questions whenever you talk about data. So definitely it was helpful, but it also, you know, brought a lot of questions in my mind, More which I would like to ask yeah. you. So when you have this catalog of catalogs, as you mentioned, and you have this kind of understanding of all of these data in the organization, then, for example, is it also available for developers to use it in a kind of API-driven style 
and just go there and say, can you give me this data automatically so I can decide if, you know, where to get this data or whom should I serve this data to and then bring that data and build some visualization or build some automation or algorithm or something. But it's mostly not designed for that kind of audience that programmatically get there and just extract. Programmatically is an interesting dimension. I'm going to take liberties with your question for just a second, and I'm going to say, I'll come back to programmatic, but the twist I'm going to make on your question is access to data and using data. Let me explain what I mean. So if somebody comes to the catalog and they're able to find data and say it's highly reliable and trusted, why? Well, because people, a lot of your peers have upvoted it. You see all the commentary, social commentary on it. Mm -hmm. It's got data quality scores, which are high. So you see all these things. You get this rich context so you can better understand it. So you found it. So now we come back to your question. Uh, now I want to use it. In years gone by, a catalog or a metadata management tool was essentially an inventory or a documentation of what existed. But when you actually wanted to use that thing, you had to leave and go somewhere else, right? To another platform or technology. In our catalog, I'm not trying to make this a commercial for relation, but I mean, I'm just saying this, this is really what works for our customers, which I think is fundamentally one of the differences we brought to the market. When you find it in our world, you're also actually able to use it. You're actually able to build queries directly against the data, see the data, touch the data, work with the data. As a developer, build all those queries. You can reuse those queries in many different ways, including programmatically, you could reuse those queries. Mm -hmm. But you're able to really increase your productivity because you're not just finding documentation, but you're actually able to work with the data. And when you create those queries, you can share them. They get published automatically back into the catalog. So this knowledge builds up. So when, let's say, Armin, you come in five minutes later and you're looking for a query that does something similar, not the same thing, but you'll find it, you can reuse it, you see that I made notes about it. So now let's come back to pure programmatic, right? Because that's query, that's query perspective. Purely programmatic, yes, we have, we have lots of customers who will have in their development pipeline, right? Their developers will use the catalog and you can actually catalog API resources as well with endpoints. So they can consume the catalog API endpoints so they can learn about the endpoints, who else is using the endpoints, what the endpoints are. And so that can also speed a developer's work process as they move through. So you can see, as I described this, cataloging isn't only just about cataloging the data itself, but it's all the context around the catalog, including API endpoints that access the data, right? So. We have many, many customers that in their development pipeline, they're, you know, they'll have developers. Well, they'll have the people they're doing requirement specification using the catalog. They'll have developers using the catalog. They'll have testers using the catalog. They'll have the entire life cycle, essentially. That's great because, again, as you said, it's a different dimension, but it's a very dynamic dimension because that mm. opens a lot of other parties to partner, essentially, and just use that kind of knowledge that has been collected and it just right. opens a lot of opportunities that is great now when we look at the data in any organization it not always has been the case and it's still today i'm not saying it's all it's the case with every single organization but now we have learned that companies that are smart about their data like amazon on mm. the e-commerce side for example 
can grow much faster, smarter than the competitors who may not necessarily have the data about their customers. And sometimes, you know, if I'm a kind of regular retail store, I may not know who's coming to my store and purchasing mm-hmm. things versus Amazon had the luxury of as an online store, everyone is known to them, where I'm mm-hmm. looking at, where I'm clicking on, what I purchase, what mm-hmm. is the whole history since the very beginning of the time for them. So, and that shows that more increasingly, businesses will look at data more strategically, any business. And if I'm a coffee shop, I use it as a metaphor all the time that my coffee is as valuable to me as a coffee shop than my data. If Mm. I have good coffee, of course, it brings customers to me. But if I don't have good data, I cannot increase and expand my business. So from business standpoint, sometimes even data is more valuable than Mm. maybe the core product I'm working on. And it's because without data, hard to really make good decisions. Now, all of that knowledge about data, and data itself can be a product, of course, but all of that knowledge about the data that Mm. you essentially create those catalogs and then you create maybe a central repository or maybe unified repository that you can really reach out to all of these different, depending on the size of the organizations it might Mm -hmm. be. So moving forward with that kind of trend that we have Mm. seen, increasingly data become more strategic and Mm -hmm. known to organizations. So the importance of data is moving up. And the ones who use it, now enterprises alike, other entities, large and small, I think it would be there. Still, I see that many opportunities exist out there that really people need to kind of create data about data, create Mm. better metadata, better understand their data, better communicate good data versus not so good data. That's Mm -hmm. the challenge and everything. How do you see all of these trends playing in the data culture, in the data? I mean, it's a very broad question, but I wanted to see your take as a kind of person who has seen that. How do you see the trend is going to be in the future? Have you seen that accelerated? Do you see that kind of going forward? It's a very long-term, it's a short-term goal. I think it's a long-term trend. I think in fact, what we've seen is, you know, the trend's been there forever, right? I mean, you could actually say in a more abstract way that the goal of business is to always optimize, to optimize operations for the highest margin at the lowest cost, right? That's part of optimization. So that's always been there, right? Age old, that's every business is trying to do that. But I think using data to optimize has has been a trend for a long time. I think we saw during COVID times that actually accelerated, right? You had this big brain drain of people, whether it was people just retiring, you know, quote unquote, quiet quitting, or if you have fewer people and the people that had the knowledge walked out the door and it becomes more important to be able to know things about your data, Mm -hmm. right? For the people that are left, you have to work smarter, not harder. And the people aren't literally aren't there. So we've seen it accelerate. So coming back to your question, I guess lots of thoughts go through my head, but one of those is, We all can think of the examples in the fintech industry, different industries where there's been massive disruption. And if you look at this disruption, a lot of times it'll be cloaked in terms like digital transformation or 
born digital, these types of things. And and if you dig into that, largely that means it's, it's because data is being used in a more direct way to understand deeper things in order to transform. So we've all seen this. I think one of the ways we're seeing it accelerate in the enterprise businesses that we work with is just even in something as simple as titles. As recently ago as 12, 18 months, you know, this title of chief data officer had kind of emerged, but it didn't really have teeth. You saw a lot of chief data officers reporting in maybe under a under a CIO or under a CFO or lower down in the organization than you might think since they had chief in their title. We now see a rapid move to chief data and analytic officers, CDAOs. Mm-hmm. So that's emerging and sort of taking over. And we also see CDAOs moving up the reporting chain. And not many are going directly into the CEO yet, but they are reporting higher up in the chain. So I think we see a real reaction to the importance of data as a core asset. That's one indicator. I think another indicator we see is the emergence of data products as the predominant delivery mechanism within an enterprise. What do I mean by that? Well, think about it in terms of years gone by and sort of as a self-service. So we had this way back in the in the old days, we had sort of, well, the enterprise data warehouse, and then we had integrated data marts, and then we had data lake and We've had all these architectures come through, and one of the promises was we'll give BI tools, reporting tools, dashboarding tools on top of that to the user community, let them self-serve, and they're going to gain productivity. And I think that, that that worked for a while. I mean, you could argue how well did it work, and but it's pretty pervasive now. Those tools are out there. But the new trend we see is that organizations have said, look, we're decentralized, we're never going to have the one monolithic enterprise data warehouse or lake house again. It's someone's going to be in the cloud and some's going to be on-premise and it's data is going to be all over the place. And we have expertise. In fact, that's one of the big mega trends right now in the data space is this whole data mesh architectural approach, which is about decentralizing expertise. Mm-hmm. So now that organizations have accepted this decentralization of data expertise, the question still remains, how do we share in order to get leverage, in order to optimize our business and go faster. So how does my subsidiary organization who has expertise in one area of my business share with the others? And so data products have emerged as the major trend. So allowing an organization with expertise to package, think about you use the coffee shop, I'll use the grocery store. You have a packaged product on the shelf deposited there, registered there by one part of the organization. Now other parts of the organization can go in and simply sort of shop for it see the characteristics of it. They know what the agreed contract is for the quality of it, the timeliness of it. They can take it off the shelf and they can begin consuming it. So they gain and leverage the expertise. So I think the emergence of data products, again, coming back to your question, and the CDAO role, plus the disruption Mm -hmm. we've seen in different industries overall, are all signals of how critical data is and that it's going up the radar of the boards and the C-suites. That's a very general general answer and just some indicators of what we're seeing. That's absolutely correct. And now when we look at the data, the way that it is now and creating this metadata and creating this data catalog mm-hmm. and bringing that kind of organization, and as you said, data is distributed, data is decentralized now, and that's not going to be less, it's going to be more. So more and more decentralization is going to happen. But at the same time, the need for alignment 
is going to be higher as well. So while we are decentralized, still we want to be very aligned. Still we want to not look like a chaotic situation that every you know data is distributed and we cannot read it. So the major benefit here is to bring that alignment, but let data to be decentralized. That increases the scalability and the flexibility, if I'm correct. Yeah, but there's a friction there. I talked to a lot of leaders about this. Think of a spectrum and think on one end of the spectrum, you have regulatory control, compliance, privacy, right? And on the other end of the spectrum, you have business agility, growth. So what you're trying to do with your data is actually achieve both. Mm-hmm. You, you want to optimize growth, agility, right? Things I mentioned before, but you have to, for the right reasons, moral reasons, plus for the right legal reasons and risk reasons, you've got to do the opposite. So, so that's a friction. It's, it's built in. So how do you achieve both? If you have highly decentralized data, which is the state of the world as we know it, and what I believe will remain the state of the world as we know it, and pockets of expertise, how do you... So what's happening with data products, the way I described, is that they're intersecting now, this is the new trend, with governance policies. You know, policies are another one of those things that used to be, you know, sort of dusty documents on the shelf. And you take an employee population through a certification training once a year or have them all watch the videos, take a 10 question quiz, say they passed my org certified. Great. And you're really trusting all your employees to remember that stuff when they're working with data. That's all changing now, right? Policies are now becoming active enforcement documents, but not in a carrot versus stick way where people are beating over the head, but policies are now being interwoven into things like data products. So when someone publishes a data product that has certain policies associated, when someone goes and they shop for it and they pull it off the shelf and Armin says, hey, I want to use that customer segmentation analysis data product. When you check it out, it knows who you are. The technology knows who you are. They know the role you play. They know the groups you're in. They know the data you are supposed to have access to. So in the checkout process, it presents you with, hey, Armin, here are the policies. Just mark the box you agree to these. And then I'm I'm going to auto-provision this segmentation data to you, right? So a small example, but this is the difference. It's just allowing you to still maintain the agility, the speed that you want on one end of the spectrum, but in a controlled way where we have audit trail, we have compliance, we have policies that people know at the point they're using the data and they're attesting to that. It's extremely exciting for me because I lived through (laughs) all the days when policies were just fancy documents, right? And now to be able to, the technology finally have caught up to where we can implement this type of stuff is is really exciting. What about the data types? Because it used to be mm. majority of the data to be rows and columns. And that was mm. very simplistic view of the data. Then data became yeah. totally different. Now we take voice right. as data, we take videos sure. data. As you have more variety of data collection that might be sensors, you know, IoT mm-hmm. devices, even drones collecting data or cameras collecting data or a call center that voice is data, you wanted to analyze it. Emails are data. There are tons of data within these PDFs and you know mm-hmm. documents and emails. Then how does that impact this kind of you know unifying the view and putting that catalog there? Great point. Great point. Because it's really overly simplistic and not correct to just think about structured data these days, right? So we've all known about schemas, tables, columns, files with 
But you're right. We have document databases, which are wonderful, right? But they're document or JSON oriented sort of document structures, multi-hierarchy, you know, mm-hmm. we have schemaless data sources, right? Schemaless totally until you actually read the data to, you know, anything about it, the structure, plus mm-hmm. all of these, what I would just largely categorize as unstructured sources, audio, video, and so forth. They're all equally important and IOT data sources as well. So here's the catch is that's such an overwhelming tidal wave, a tsunami of data that sometimes organizations just kind of get frozen, right? What do we do? The answer is we have to use technology to help us because look, cataloging program teams usually are a small number. People that do governance in an organization, you know, they have a huge responsibility, but unfortunately they usually are a small number. They don't get a lot of budget. I see some of that changing, but so how do you handle the tsunami? So you need technology to fill the gap. So, and again, not this is a commercial, but one of the things that we do is when we connect to a data source and we ingest the data source, we do more than just sort of connect to it and read it. We apply insight to it, right? So we apply machine learning. We try to analyze the behavioral intelligence of that source. So for instance, we can tell you things like the popularity, how often it's used, who the top users are. We can try to use a lexicon to give you some human names and readable format of the metadata. So I think the point is you've got to use the technology, try to do smart connections to data and let it help lift the understanding of the data by enriching the metadata. You have to have that. And then when it comes to who should be assigned to watch after this data, right? Often they're called stewards. Some people call them custodians, you know, whatever title you want to use. You need people to look after it. Well, again, if you've got millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of data assets, how in the world do you even manually assign people? So you've got to have technology auto-assign, right? So these are all the areas, again, I'm super excited to be in the industry right now because these are all the things we're finally able to automate. And I think long-term, Armin, the trend is going to be moving towards autonomy, right? Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Well, and this may be a, a worn out analogy for some people. So I'm sorry if it is, but I'm going to reuse it. We all go into a room in our house and we expect to flip the light switch and the lights to come on. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't often, we don't necessarily want to think about the wiring, how the wiring goes back to, you know, to a power panel in our house and how the power panel goes to the pole. And then there's some underground wire. We just want power to come on. Data in the way that data can be used for agility and have knowledge about data and also know that we're using it under control. You know, you don't worry if you're going to get shocked when you flip the light switch on because there's standards and rules that control how the power source comes to your light switch. That needs to happen in the data world. And we've finally gotten to a point where we're very close to being able to do that with the levels of automation that are there now. I mean, just one example of this. This is a little bit of a technical example, but some people will be able to identify In the world of data producers, people inside a company who take data and work against some requirements and then create an output like a BI report or a dashboard or one of these data products I was talking about, they often need what's called in the data ops world, continuous integration, continuous delivery, CI/CD. And continuous integration and continuous delivery is about having that pipeline of delivering new fresh data that's high quality to that dashboard or to that report or to that data product on a continual basis. And if something happens, something breaks, either the data is a poor quality or one of the pieces of of the movement of data through pipelines breaks, you want to know about it. And not only do you want to know about it, but wouldn't it be great if 
the machine could actually try to self-heal or try to take care of itself if it's within the known range of problems, right? So in the CICD world around data ops, these things are largely happening already today. You can implement these, these intelligent, automated, almost completely autonomous processes. And so that's the type of thing where we're now moving to the end user consumer experience, right? We're not quite there yet, but finally, as an industry, we've got enough at our fingertips to start to do that. So I think the next 10 years are going to be extremely exciting. I think we're going to see a sea change in how data is actually used and integrated and just part of the ongoing process of, again, metaphor, flipping the light switch. So that facilitates essentially the data marketplaces, right? So that has been a vision Mm. that many people, many companies came and kind of draw that vision and said, we are going to facilitate it or help it or get Mm. it done. And that kind of data marketplace, what I mean by that is rather than, you know, you have different points and every point has to programmatically or write some code and connect to another data points, you can Mm. really create a data marketplace that everyone can register there with some parameters and meter the data transferred and set the policy and set the pricing and licensing and everything. Mm, And mm. then your data is kind of, you know, available and people know what kind of data it is and if they want to subscribe or pay or if it's free or whatever. So all of that is taken care of. And then that data can accelerate a lot of things because as soon as you start, you have that mechanism. It's just the you know, sharing the data and using other data, but also using other data sets, but also yeah. being able. So that's also the other aspect that oh, sure. you cannot do that without a good data catalog, right? Oh, oh, there's no question. I mean, you need a single system of reference for your metadata assets. We call that the catalog, right? And it's got to have deep attribution about all those, right? Which is what I've been describing on the call. I just want to make a comment about marketplaces. I mean, as you said, there's different types of marketplaces. We see two major marketplaces that are sort of hap- emerging, right? One is an external marketplace. So a company says, you know, organizations want to share or transact for data B2B. I say, hey, I want to package my data as something I sell. I want to put it on a market or give it away. I want to put it on a marketplace that's external to me and have other external entities, businesses pick it up. We call that external marketplace. And that's actually, you could argue, has there's been versions of that out there for a while. I do see additional, I mean, there's new movement there around, especially around Microsoft, around Google, around some of the bigger players, because I think there's financial incentives. Many of your listeners will know if you signed a massive contract with Google or a massive contract with Microsoft, in that massive contract, you get credits for transacting. So if you can go to a marketplace and transact to acquire some data, even from a third party, and you get credits against your massive contract, that's a big win for you. And you might even get a healthy discount because you've got this. So there's, I think there's business reasons and transaction reasons external marketplaces are in certain parts of the industry are doing quite well. The internal marketplace is the other, right? And that's what I was describing with data products. This is not actually for transacting for any monetary value. Although you could argue internally, there might be internal chargebacks, which is a whole nother sort of accounting perspective, but it's largely just for sharing data within the quote unquote four walls of an enterprise, even if that's parent and child legal entities, it's all shared within the the four walls of that enterprise. 
I see that trend actually growing even faster than the external marketplace. Most organizations are saying, we're just not ready from a maturity perspective and we're not sure it's part of our business. Let's pretend for a second, I'm an insurance company. Is it part of our business to create an external data product to go sell? Is that even our core business? But it is their core business to try to optimize internally and have internal marketplaces and exchanges, right? Which is another common phrase or word that's being used to describe those. Yeah, fascinating. This uh, kind of data exchange, data marketplace, I think we are at the very, very beginning. I think we just are going to see the whole thing coming up in the next decade Mm -hmm. or two. And we have not yet started, but the benefits are very obvious, but making it happen is very, very challenging. And I'm very excited Mm -hmm. to see, you know. I think so. And I agree with you overall, like megatrend wise, I agree with you. I think this whole idea of competitive advantage and intellectual property needs to kind of still be worked out, right? Again, if I'm an insurance company or I'm a retailer, I, you know, pick your industry. You made statements earlier about the importance of data and is that going up? And I gave you some examples, the understanding in the C-suite of the importance of data as a strategic core Mm -hmm. corporate asset is going up. So that's a bit at conflict with sure. participating in an external data marketplace, right? Because then what do you consider the keys to the kingdom and the intellectual property and the secret mm-hmm. sauce? And how much of that do you share? So while again, I agree with you in the long term megatrend and the opportunity with data, the answer to it yeah. needs to be worked out. Yeah, great point. Obviously, data mining mm. is beneficial, meaning that when you have the data history, I mean, very simple example of it is the health data. If I go Mm -hmm. to the doctor today and say, hey, I feel like I'm not doing well and maybe my heart is not, you Mm -hmm. know, working well as it used to be. And the best thing that doctor needs in order to judge if it's true or not is the history. If I have Mm -hmm. zero history of any data, very difficult for the person to look at me Mm -hmm. just you know, Mm. and look at the data and say, yeah, there's something seems to be not right. But if I had the data mining and Mm. all of the behavior of the body and the data of the, you know, whatever heart is doing and all of the metrics, then they Mm. look at that data and say immediately, yes, absolutely. Even I may not need to go to doctor, maybe an algorithm could detect that there is something wrong. So the data mining and in any business in any aspect that you can think of, even in agriculture, we have seen mm. doing data mining. In many other industries, they have started for some good reasons. So you mm. have the data, the history, you can be smarter about the whole business and the whole thing that whatever you are working on. Now, mm-hmm. the data storage is getting cheaper. The data transformation is getting cheaper and better. So all of that accelerates the same trend. Now we came up with some devices and sensors that actually could collect data for us and we could mine data automatically. And that also added to the benefit of looking at the data. But now we are entering a new age of AI, a new age mm-hmm. of machines now mm-hmm. looking at it, not just as a sensor, but they look at it with some kind of intelligence and brain. Mm-hmm. And they are even generating data So as we speak, there are some blog posts published, written and published by Mm -hmm. this artificial intelligence algorithm, right? So especially Mm -hmm. in a sport, it's very common nowadays that as soon as, you know, that game is over, 
then immediately with all of the historical data, a very nice kind of blog post is posted before anyone could, human could just do it. Now right. they are adding content and they are adding data, this mm-hmm. kind of AI, and we see that. So what is, from your perspective, the impact that you see from AI and ML in from variety of aspects in kind of just data catalogs and doing the kind of understanding the data across the organizations? Your previous question about marketplaces and the opportunity for data in external marketplaces and this idea of models, I think is is a really strong opportunity area. In other words, we used to think that every organization needed to have data scientists hired and a whole team and craft and create their own AI ML models. The truth is that there is very specialized work that can be done within an enterprise on some unique value intellectual property for that company. But most of those models are more generalized models about market segmentation, user population, and the medical field. You mentioned a few examples. So I think the real opportunity is to share these models of large general populations and then allow organizations to not have to spend all their time and energy recreating those models Mm -hmm. from their smaller data sets or going and looking for data sets, but to have a third-party exchange of these large models, right? Why should we all have to reinvent the wheel? So I'll use a personal example. My son is a doctoral student in medical research, and he's right now he's actually doing some data science work and some research around comorbidities. And one of those is around cardiovascular disease, what you mentioned, and, and some other diseases. And they're looking for the intersection. So it's going to be a massive model. So what I would envision and see is the potential and the opportunity for all of us across all industries publish those types of models and to have those models then be consumed and used by an individual company for their purposes. They can throw their own internal data set consumers, patients up against it, and then try to create their uniqueness in the market. But why reinvent that and create that? So I'm kind of bringing together your last two questions, but that's what I see as the promise and opportunity. So AI and ML, hugely important for creating these models of the universe. And when someone goes, again, back to your example of someone going to the doctor and maybe it's a cardiovascular problem, analytics is, you know, there's four different classifications of analytics. And I think a lot of organizations kind of forget this. There's descriptive analytics, diagnostic analytics, there's predictive and then prescriptive. And so the world is shifting from only backwards looking and knowing what's descriptive, describing what happened and then diagnosing what happened and why it happened. The world's now shifting to predictive and prescriptive. And that's where AI and ML comes in. And that's mm-hmm. the huge promise in, in all industries. So I hope that answered your question. I look forward to the time that machine and AI can come in and organize data for us and create these catalogs and do the hard work and yeah. say, hey, this is really <laughs> the way your data is. So this right. is the way you should look at your data. Right. No, absolutely. So it has been a great discussion. I would like to ask you, John, if you could share mm-hmm. with us a book or a podcast or a blog post that you find it very useful and you think that others might be able to benefit from it as well. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. This is a little narrow topic, right? This delves into my uh, passion around data governance, but there's an author named Laura Madsen and she's written a book, I think it was about a year ago called Disrupting Data Governance. Mm-hmm. Then I actually saw her do a keynote about two weeks ago at a conference in Boston What I really love about this is she's shaking up the world of 
data governance and really making some observations that I, I feel are correct about what has not worked in the past and what we need to do to change in the future to be effective at resolving what I described as this friction between both ends, ends of that spectrum earlier in our discussion. So I love that book. It's pretty hard hitting and straightforward, but I think she tells it like it is. So I highly recommend that book. Great. Thank you very much again. It was a great discussion. Yeah. Thank you, Armin. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's a fun discussion. You have great questions. I'd love to join you anytime. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ashragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sasscaled.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.